<laughs> Wipeout. I'm Tommy Pico, and this is Junk. A Talk That Talk interview podcast wherein I ask a treasure trove of cultural luminaries about the relics, keepsakes, and rando baubles in their apartments, sussing out the stories of their junk. And in this episode, we're doing a little bit of a podcast crossover with the boys of Los Culturistas, Bo and Yang and Matt Rogers, and ending with essayist and my literal neighbor, like we live on the same damn street, Chelsea Hodson. Bo and Yang is a comedian, producer, and formerly mediocre chemistry major based in Brooklyn, New York. His words, not mine. He creates and produces various live shows in New York, including Live on Broadway at Littlefield, Lake Homo High at The Annoyance, and The Lost Culturistas podcast with Matt Rogers. TV credits include Broad City, The Outs, and High Maintenance. Also, the production team at Junk Podcast cannot get enough of Bowen's motherfucking glasses. Uh, Bo and Yang. Hi, Teebs. Will you show me your junk? This is, um, I'm going to show you my junk. Um, one second. I have to adjust my junk properly before I show it to you. <laughs> okay, this is, um, this is a little banjo, a miniature banjo on a little rusted stand. Very cute. I just have this on my desk. And, um, the story behind this is that I was working as of... Until, I should say, three weeks ago, I was working at this company, for, um, and I was there for five years, but I was working at this company called One Kings Lane, um, and I was their graphic designer, and I did a bunch of, I was like a production designer, which means like, I took up all like the lowly grunt work of just like designing a banner for an email, like that kind of stuff. Is that sort of like, that was your... That was your job, not, uh, that wasn't comedy. Exactly. Okay. That was like purely survival, and then... I we, didn't know we, that. You know, they sell like home home goods, home decor stuff. And then they used to do a lot of like celebrity like sales. Like Diane Keaton for some reason has a bunch of like purges out her fucking uh, you know, closet every other year and like sells her shit on used to sell her shit on the site. But then one time a few years ago, Steve Martin did a sale. Oh. And I don't particularly have I like him. I don't particularly have like a cathexis, like an obsession with Steve Martin, the way some white comedians have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's great. And I like read his books, whatever, like saw his specials, love his movies. But, but there's like a certain reverence that some people have for him as being like the apex of comedy. Totally, which yeah. I don't fully buy. But um, I mean, he's great. But like he's not like the fucking like he's not mana from the gods. Like, you know. Yeah. But um, but basically, like, you know, he he, you know, would have banjos in his act and famously. And so. This was the. This is also the only thing I could afford from that sale. I was like, I might as well buy something from this like curated selection of things right. that Steve Martin used to own but doesn't care enough to keep to keep. Um, but this was like eighty dollars, and every the, the, like the price point, the average price point for everything in the sale was like six thousand. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No. Just, <laughs> whatever. Give me your finest, cheapest junk, Steve there Martin. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Steve Martin's junk. I I I took it. <laughs> um. And it's a little banjo, but like, and even though I don't have a particular like uh, reverence for Steve Martin, like I just, I have this on my desk just to like, I don't know, look at every now and then to be like, okay, yeah, like I have a piece of, of this, I have a piece of like the industry, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, as a comedian. And like, I look at it every now and then to like, just sort of recalibrate in terms of like, 
my work ethic. Sometimes I get real fucking lazy. Mm. And then I, it, every now and then it takes like a reminder of like, oh, maybe someday someone will buy my shit. So this like, I get it. So this like, this sort <laughs> That's of, arrogant, but... this junk sort of galvanizes your uh, ambition. Yeah. Okay. I would say so. I've had it. This is. I think I've had it for three years now. Okay. Yeah. Um. And so yeah. No. That's that's perfect. Teebs. Like it galvanizes my ambition. It lit. Even though, but like the weird thing is, and I don't know why. And maybe you can impact this for me. I don't know why I'm attaching meaning to it, even though I don't particularly love him. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm attracted to his success, and that sounds shallow. But like. I don't well, know. I mean, the thing is, I think sometimes when you're working in a medium and people have an idea for what it is yeah. and you are positioning yourself in that medium, you know, it's like sort of like um, if my parents are like, oh, uh, so who, so what do you do? And it's like, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer. Like, I don't know, Michael Crichton. You know, <laughs> it's just like, you, you know who that is. Cause he wrote Jurassic right, Park, right, you right. know, but it's like, but I, but that's not somebody who I who I particularly um, sure. have any kind of reverence for or made me want to write, or I don't think I've ever read anything that he's done, to be honest with you. But it's like if somebody was like a staple of the genre that I'm in, I would have said a poet, but nobody knows what any poet's names are. God. <laughs> um, but that I think maybe it could be like um, uh, a sort of positioning yourself in in terms of this genre's yeah. like legacy. Totally, totally. Like this is... In some fun, in some weird way, maybe this is a stretch, but like, oh, I am taking some like lovely straight white comedian's property and like reclaiming it as my own. And like, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to say, yes, when I was writing this, 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 I was looking at Steve Martin's miniature banjo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And I think like that's a part of what a talisman kind of does. And then also when. Like, what does a possession allow you to do but possess something? Yeah. Right? And so if you're possess, if it's what you're possessing is not just, I mean, it's not functional. No. It's not an actual banjo, nor do you play, I mean, do here, you, do you play? I, I don't you? play, I don't play the banjo, but here, <laughs> let's, let's get some. Mm, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's, that's the, the tune from Deliverance. Do. Yeah. <laughs> um, that like what it allows, but it does allow you to possess something more symbolic, perhaps. Yes. Wow. I mean, it is a talisman. Oh my God, Teebs, you're so right. This is, you know what? I'm <laughs> learning that I'm like the sort of junk whisperer. So that was like, oh my God, you're the junk medium. I think so. <laughs> if this whole writing thing doesn't work out. <laughs> you, should, you should be a junk medium. This junk needs to be protected. Do you have a cup for this junk? <laughs> Do I have a cup for this junk? I, I have a little shitty little wire stand for my junk. I, yes, I think that, I think that probably lends some meaning to it too, because it's like, I've had to be very precious with this, even though, again, it's like the only meaning that I've assigned to it is that a celebrity, this used to be a celebrity's. Yeah. And like, I don't know what that says about my relationship or the way that I see celebrity. And like, I've been reevaluating that lately. Like being famous doesn't mean shit. Right. Anymore, like to me. It's also not going to take care of your problems. It's not going to make you happy. It's not like the, it's not going to determine your self worth. Sure. Like, yeah, the time, at the time that I bought this, like, I was still, I was like, I mean, I I still am struggling in whatever sense, but like, at the time, I was like, not doing anything. I was like, pounding the fucking pavement, doing like sketch comedy in a basement, you know? And Mm -hmm. like, I've come a long way um, in those years, but like, Back then, like, that meant everything of, like, owning a celebrity's thing. Yeah. Like, meant so much. And now, 
now I look at this and I'm like, who cares? Like Steve Martin's probably just as like fucked up as the rest of us. Yeah. I mean, um, probably more so. Cause probably I think, more so. I think like, I don't know. I think some, like somehow I think like fame and, and money too, it just kind of, uh, it, it exacerbates any underlying mental shit you might have. Yeah. <laughs> because, totally. Um, but one point I was going to make though, about this thing being, um, delicate and like sort of needing to be protected. And as a, as, um, as a focal point for your ambition, mm-hmm. um, I think that probably does remind you that it's something that needs to be protected, right? And that's something that, that is kind of delicate. And sure. if you don't spend time on it, you know, it's like these kinds of creative careers are so ill-defined because mm-hmm. there's no way to do it right. and to have a successful outcome. I was right. comparing it to like when I was younger and I, I was um, pre-med and I was like, well, you know, the thing is you go to medical school, you get a residency, you work at a hospital, then you get like a thing and then you're like a doctor, you oh know? My God. Um, but, but like for, for like a poet or like a comedian, there's not like a, and then you do this and then you get this and then you right. do this thing. And then all of a sudden you're a professional. There's no sequence to it. Wait, I didn't know you were pre-med too. Wait, I know I did know this about you. you I was were? pre-med. Really? Yeah. Oh shit. I took my MCAT. I had my apl- applications in and then, okay, this is like, speaking of white comedians, uh-huh. um, I was reading some interview with Steve Carell, different Steve, mm. also white. Um, where he was like, he was sort of struggling for a bit after he graduated not really knowing what he was doing. And then he was filling out an application to law school. And then once he got to the personal statement, he was like, I can't do this. And then reading that pushed me to say, I can't fucking do this med school Mm -hmm. thing. And I guess what I want to say is that back then, yeah, I mean like back then that's like success meant that to me. Have you seen, this is not a white, I mean, this is, this is is a white comedian, but this is a queer white comedian. Um, Have you seen Hannah Gatsby's special on Netflix yet? No, not yet. I recommend it to everyone. It's like, it's first of all, it's like all the rage right now in like the comedy world, which is great. But I think like it's the one where she starts off talking about how she's quitting comedy. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then the last like thirty, the the second half of it is just her at the Sydney Opera House, packed room of like, you know, a thousand plus people, just screaming about so many different things. But one of the things, one of the things she talks about is like our current obsession with reputation, Mm. like that that should be like what we're making fun of. And that that's what's poisoning every fucking thing in the world right now is that that's, that's the thing that everyone's out to preserve and everything. And so Mm. that really, that, I don't know, that really shook me. And so every, so now this is like, you're catching me at an interesting time where it's like, like I could throw this out. I mean, like this is precious junk to me. I love it. This is my, my beautiful junk. Um, (laughs) And like, I will not throw this away, but it's like, I, now I feel just dumb and silly for talking about the association I have, this has with fame for me, where it's like, oh, but fame, as fame at the cost of humanity is like terrible. It's like the, it's like the, one of the great ills of this world right now. And for so, sure. But the thing is like your relationship to fame is allowed to change. Yeah. And therefore like what that means via fame is allowed to change as well. I guess, yeah, and it can also right. be a reminder of like how far you've come totally from the way that you interpreted it before to the way that you kind of see fame or success or a reputation or whatever now. Yeah, Cause I think yeah. like a lot of times what people will tell me when, when they bring me their junk is like, sometimes it is a reminder that like I did this in an hour of need, or I did mm-hmm. this when I was at my, I was at, this was the thing I have when I was at my worst or when I did X, Y, and Z. And so it's, I need this to remind me of what I'm capable of sure. sometimes too. I will say that this represents a time in my life where 
that's all that mattered to me was just being famous, which is like such a gross mm. thing to admit and to cop to. But then like if nobody cops to that, then they're lying. In a way, yes. But then but now like my now like this I look at this and this is a reminder of of that arc where it's like, oh, that's not the thing that that's not I'm I'm not doing this for the sake of fame. I'm doing this for the sake of what I'm creating, what I'm putting out there, the people I meet, all that stuff. Yeah. And again, like as a focus for ambition to be like, maybe somebody, some people are going to buy my trash one day. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh my God. But th- is that the most arrogant thing someone said on this so far? No. Alex is lying. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is my junk. Thank you so much, Bowen. Thanks, Taves. Matt Rogers is a comedian, actor, writer, and host based in New York City, originally from Long Island. He currently performs regularly at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater with Characters Welcome in New York. Matt is the artistic director of the musical sketch comedy group Pop Roulette, is the co-host of the aforementioned Las Culturistas podcast with Bo and Yang, and game show spelled G-A-Y-M-E with Dave Mazzoni. His biggest comedic influence is Eva Longoria. He also owns the scariest fucking dinosaur mask I've ever seen, and I'm really, really glad we didn't choose that as his junk. Matt Rogers. Hey. Will you show me your junk? I will show you my junk. And I want you to know, when you first contacted me about this, I thought it was a, a, a podcast about penis talk. <laughs> and I was like, well, we I would. Talk. We could talk I about do that. co-host a show called Food for Thought, spelled T-H-O-T, so I wouldn't put it beyond me. <laughs> and neither would I. <laughs> um, okay, so I was, I was really thinking about what I would show for this, and... Um, I have like a little thing that I do that kind of lifts me out of bad moods whenever I'm in like in a negative place and I suggest that everyone maybe looks into doing this. I have what I call a good box mm. and it's literally a box that I have in front of us and what I do is over time like I will put um, like little mementos from like good experiences that I've had or people that I want to remember in this box. See, I feel like that's some advice my therapist would tell me to do. Yeah, and so maybe I should go into therapy. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I don't know. I kind of just found it by myself. I'm sure I'm not the first person to ever think of this, but literally like, and this is weird, but especially around this time of year, mm. like this is like we're in late July, early August. For some reason, this is when I get like seasonal huh. depression. Really? It's very strange. Are you from the East Coast? Yeah, I'm from okay. Long Island. Okay, okay. So you have acclimated to the seasonal change. So yes. So there's no like... Well, can I tell you what I think it is? Okay, yes. I think that towards the end of the summer, like as as it be- becomes fall... Uh, I think the reason why I get anxious and kind of down on myself is because like psychosomatically, I remember going back to school mm. um, and also like doing sports again. Mm. Like, Ooh. isn't that weird? Yeah. Like, but whenever there's like a seasonal change, I feel a shift in my body because I know that it means I have to acclimate to like whatever the next sport is that mm. I'm going to have to do because I'm from Long Island and my dad is where it's very kind of like you know, the patriarchy is like roaring, hun. All right. And um, my dad is like very much a sports dad. Like he was no. like a varsity coach. And you know what? It wasn't even a bad thing because like I was an athletic kid, but I think like the queer kid inside me was like- A little bit- Anxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I would get that thing, but it would be like on like a Saturday night and I would it would be like 
the weekend's almost over and I have to go back to school. We're usually yeah. thinking people get that like on Sunday mornings or something right. like that. I would get it way earlier than other people and be like, oh no. Yeah, because I don't <laughs> like, even want to go out and see these people on the weekends. Yeah, no. No, and also, how did you feel getting on the bus in the morning? Um, Like I wanted to die. Horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Horrible. Is, well, so the bus that, that came and got us was like, there were like th- three points on the reservation where the school bus would come and get uh-huh. us and it was just like we'd go from like i'd be hanging out with my cousins and you know my cousin clarissa would have like a little mini bottle of vodka we'd be smoking yeah. weed or whatever and then we oh get on gosh. the bus and immediately it's just like all of these white supremacist kids because <gasps> those are the kinds of people who live like right outside the reservation yeah so it was just like there was a little bit of that anxiety with it too oh, shit. Like, mbd i didn't mean to like <laughs> no i mean honestly like at least you at least you figured out at a young age we can deal with this with marijuana yeah i was not fucking <laughs> like I, i'll tell you what we do on long island is we get fucking wasted mm-hmm. and everyone develops an alcohol issue but we don't like i was i if i, if I could go back in time i'd be like bitch smoke some weed because... i was a stoner way before i ever had like it, like i didn't even drink when i came to first came to new york like i didn't start drinking until i was like maybe 23 24 and good yeah because i was all about that weed as life. we all sit around here drinking white wine <laughs> um but yeah you know i i don't know i just like i just like I had was I had always had an anxiety problem, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think I realized that until I was in college when my best friend Sudi like introduced me to marijuana. I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, wow, this is like a good thing for me." Isn't it just like weird how like food just tastes real good? Oh, you know? and yes, and every <laughs> sensation is a sensation. <laughs> um, Tell me about your goodies box. Okay, yes, let's get into the box. Okay, so. Like I said, whenever I have like a positive memory that I will really want to remember, I will take something from it and I will put it in this box. And so this will be in no chronological order. We'll just go through it and I'll kind of tell you. Gotcha. So this chapstick, this chapstick <laughs> says political subversities on it. And political subversities is a sketch group that I used to love oh. in college. Okay. Um, they did like cabaret style political humor. Mm-hmm. And I was just really kind of looking in college to find what my thing was. Mm-hmm. I knew I liked music. I knew I liked sketch comedy and i really saw this kind of this sketch sketch group like mold the two in a really cool way and i was really inspired by that and so by seeing them political subversities and you can kind of check out some of their old youtube clips and stuff if you want to i kind of like found the foundation for this sketch group that i created called papa roulette which was a musical sketch group that i did with bowen yang and all my friends and so i like this um because a i think it's so funny that a sketch group was like what are we gonna have to like promote us Hmm, let's all (laughs) let's Put it on a chapstick. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so funny. And also, I love this group, and they're so fun. As a way to have, um, like, kind of formed your ambition. To yeah, yeah. And honestly, I just remember that, like, it's like, wow, that was a moment where I was like, I remember watching them, and I remember thinking to myself, if I could do something like that, mm-hmm. I would feel so happy. And it also must, as a thing that you carry with you, remind you sometimes in the downtimes when you lose yeah. sight of what it is that you want to do. Yes. Yeah. And I'll, I'll honestly, what I remember when I to have this in my hands it's like I remember being handed it as I was leaving their show and it reminds me of that thing of watching them and being aspirational and honestly it's a very long time ago and to know that I've done that and mm. more mm-hmm. is kind of nice and that's really what the whole good box is about this is a little different this wristband and I have another one that's over there uh, because I just went to another Taylor Swift concert oh, okay. but this is from the Taylor Swift 1989 concert tour at MetLife Stadium I went with Bo and Yang we decided <laughs> to get tickets this is when she was not probably problematic uh-huh. <laughs> she was merely just the most powerful person in the world you know mm-hmm. not problematic at all um but bo and yang and i decided um the morning of this concert that we were going to buy tickets to taylor swift 1989 tour at MetLife stadium we got wasted at my old job and um 
we took an $180 Uber to MetLife Stadium. Wow. And Bowen Yang said it's going to be $45. Uh, and it was $180. Wow. And then we got there and they handed us this bracelet. And the cool thing about this bracelet is actually it would light up with the beat and everyone in the stadium had one. So that oh, was pretty cool. Okay, that makes a nice little light show. And so we had a really fun night that night. And that's from that. So I kept that because it was a really fun time that so, Bowen so and the, I the, had. So the subtext of that is do not believe Bowen. Yeah, do not believe Bowen. <laughs> but damn, the bitch can provide a good time. <laughs> this crystal actually is from a set that I saw Julio Torres do, the stand-up Julio Torres, mm -hmm. and he often works with crystals, and he dropped this on the floor, and I picked it up and kept it because I <laughs> love him, and I know that he's going to be very famous, yeah. and I was like, I'm putting that in my good box. Slash, did you, like, so Fran from, from Food for That has yep. been sending me um, all of Julio's shirtless Instagram pics. Yeah, he's like, so hot. Is he, is there, we're like, Okay, wait, trying to find the line where somebody photoshopped his face onto no. that body? And it's like, nope, he is just built like that. That's his body, babe. Oh, my God. It's just looking like that. Oh, and my God. Again, Bowen Yang's eighth mention on this podcast, but he, <laughs> he posted a photo of Julio like in the pool. And I was like, that's fucking so outrageous that he can be that talented and that funny and that <sighs> hot. Yeah, it's anyway, not fair. It's truly not fair. Um, I just want to find out what this is. I don't care about that. Let's cap it off on this. So, All right, what do we got? This is a this is a story that a kid wrote called When I Was Surprised. I used to, or I still do, but I used to more often. I was in this um, company called Story Pirates, which takes stories that kids have written, and they make them into shows, and we surprise them by going to their elementary school and performing the show That's beautiful. based on their story. Yeah. So this is my favorite one that I've ever adapted, and I was able to go down to Texas, actually, wow. and perform this as a song. Um, for this kid, um, I, I forget her name. Her name, I think her name was like Alaya or something. And she lived in Texas. And this is the story that she wrote. It's called "When I Was Surprised." I was surprised one day when I got all A's. It was the first six weeks. I didn't think that I was going to get all A's. I knew I had got good grades, but I just didn't think I got all A's in third grade. I got all A's by working hard. Like in math, science, and other subjects. It is really hard to get all A's in third grade. And she just continues on saying how hard it is. So I wrote a song that was literally just like regurgitating this thing. It went, I was surprised when I got all A's in third grade. <laughs> and literally just, I had like six of my friends do it with me. And like, when I tell you like, she just like seeing this girl like, she was so excited because she felt like she wrote it because yeah. she did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so anyway, that's like a super cool company that I work for called Story Pirates and everyone should check out. But, but there's it something like something so like pure and uh, like sometimes magical about children's writing. Like Oh so yeah. I've I've um judged a few like um kids like poetry contests. Yes. And they're often very arresting. I mean, yeah, like, I how mean, are well, you so deep? They have no filter. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like um they will just write down what they think is fun yeah and they don't have any voice in their head saying like no not that no one's gonna like that or that's not um gonna that's be not, fun to do not, yeah, or like, that's not good that's not poetry it would be something like so stark like the sky is blue but my mom is sad and i was like whoa yeah and honestly and honestly that is poignant yeah and it's because they do have just an insight that i think as you get older you lose yeah and so i don't know just like this idea of this girl being like so proud of herself for doing well yeah in third grade like that to me is so it's just so pure and, and i think like that 
belongs in the good box because it's pure of heart. And as a refrain, just like I got all A's. In case you didn't know why I was here, in case you didn't know why I was writing the story, got all A's. I got all A's, bitch. And no one can take that away from me. And now there's a paper trail forever (laughs) in the form of this song that I got all A's. Matt Rogers, thank you so much for showing me. Listen, I had such a good time. (laughs) It's always good to go through the good box because it does bring up the good memories. So I thank you for allowing me to do that. And I recommend that everyone have their own box. Thanks, man. Chelsea Hodson is the author of the book of essays, Tonight, I'm Someone Else, and the chapbook, Pity the Animal. She's a graduate of the MFA program at Bennington College and has been awarded fellowships from the McDowell Colony and Penn Center USA Emerging Voices. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, Freeze Magazine, Black Warrior Review, and elsewhere. She teaches at Catapult in New York and moors to Avita Mia in Cese Romano, Italy. <laughs> We're also in a private brunch club and you're not invited. JK, you can come if you want. Chelsea Hodson. Hi, Tommy Will you Pico. show us your junk? Yes, I will. <laughs> um, so this um, first thing that I've procured for you is... Um, a, a letter that I have um, from, I believe, let's see, the date on here is 2002, actually. Oh, wow. May 21st, 2002. That's the year I moved to New York. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, I was still in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And um, this is a pen pal that I met, but I don't know, I don't really know how I met him. I, I feel like it was Live Journal, but... I think Live Journal would have been too late for 2002. Like, I can't really remember how I met this internet friend. I do. I, I will say, though, that Live Journal, Live Journal I was, feel like it was like 98 to 2003. Yeah. So I think I feel like it must have been Live Journal, but I honestly don't remember. I just had this pen pal who went by the name Pony Boy. Huh. And he was this eccentric um, person in Montague, Michigan. And I still have all of his letters in Arizona. Wow. But I have, I brought this one to New York because it just, I don't know. I, I like the last time I went through my things in Arizona, I took this one with me and, um, I reconnected with him on the internet like a year ago. Oh, wow. Which was strange because I thought that for a while that he, uh, was like fake like that. It was like an older person writing to me. Mm-hmm. And this just seems potentially, um, apt because I feel like I've always been drawn to people like this where like I knew that they were lying or that they were <laughs> like I know I like I really am charmed by people that will tell me a story yeah I mean I was gonna say you you you're into books so that means you're into writers and writers are liars <laughs> yeah yeah so I thought that might be interesting to show you mm. because um yeah it's was it like a particularly auspicious letter was it like your last letter that you ever wrote to each other no it wasn't but it's like when when i reconnected with him i was so hoping that he had some of my letters Mm. and he doesn't have any of them (laughs) but Mm. but by the way like he was totally normal he's like two years older than me and like he was just this kind of um eccentric teen i Mm. guess and we just wrote these really long letters to each other Mm. um so it was, it was this kind of relationship in high school that I just loved where I didn't really have to commit to anything. Like I would never have to kiss him or mm-hmm. something, you know, but it was like, it was very intimate and tender. Um, and also through words. Yeah. Yeah. So there was this kind of like distance, but also intimacy that I feel like shows up in my book a lot too. Like I'm hmm. just obsessed with that kind of um, connection, I guess. 
Uh, it's funny because all of the people I know who have gone by the alias Pony Boy who have been gay men, yeah, uh, have all just been. It's been a comment about their penis. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So. Oh, I see. As in I they see. have. A, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was very like very much just like stay gold pony boy I got type you. of vibe okay so it definitely wasn't that as far as i know but um i can see that i but also meet people in uh far shadier corners of the internet than, than live journal at this than point live journal. <laughs> um but so this letter um i scanned for him to show him when we reconnected oh and wow we're not really in touch anymore but like he found me on twitter i think um, and recognized me and then w- and then contacted me. And so I scanned this letter to show him and he was very embarrassed. Oh, it. baby. <laughs> so this first page um, just says para tota vida. <laughs> and then at the bottom, it says spoken in a whisper emphasis on last word, oh. which just seems very like teen drama. You yeah. Know? And then on the back of the translation, for those of you that don't know, gotcha. for all life. Gotcha. Can, okay, I'm curious. <laughs> okay. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the, um, the distinction of something being twee. Is, is, is tweeness what we call something when adults are trying to replicate something teenage? That's a really good question. Because of my of first, that, yeah. my first, my first um, inclination was, was to call that very twee, but then it's like, no, no, no. When you're teenagers, I think everything yeah. is just kind of I think that's the thing. And that's why I'm charmed by it looking at, back at it now because it seems like that. And I've been using the word eccentric when I think twee is like a better word for it. Of um, Just to me, it seemed so, um, it was just utterly sincere and like magical to me. I was mm. like, wow, he just, because he also in this letter gives me instructions to please put it on my locker. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I know this sounds like romantic, but it wasn't really romantic. It was just... Um, it was just like one bleeding heart to the next. Yeah. Like, put this on your locker for me. Yeah. Um, and I didn't because it would have ruined the paper. Like, I, I hated the idea of tape being on this. Oh, so gotcha. I never did it. Oh, so he, want, he wanted this to be taped up in your locker. Yeah. Oh, not just like smushed in between some books. This was like yeah. where people had pictures of their boyfriends or like a rose or something like that. It was. Yeah, he was like, please like spread this. Gotcha. You know, like, put this where you can see it. It's just so funny to me to have all these, um, you know, I can kind of tell what I wrote him based on what Mm. he wrote me. Mm -hmm. So it's always his response to me. So it's kind of this puzzle of um, what I was interested in when I was 15. Like he writes at the end of this letter um, regards to Greg, who was like this guy had such a big crush on. Mm -hmm. So like I was clearly I'd clearly written a letter about my crush to Pony Boy. So in a way, you're you're also, in as much as you're reading his him conversing with you, you're also kind of divining yourself, your own conversation. Yeah. Well, when I read them back, I'm just desperate to know like what mm. I was writing to him. Um, and I kind of ask this of everybody, but I think in particular, um, this is going to have a different resonance with you because as I understand your relationship to junk is you compulsively get rid of things. Yeah. So you're not a compulsive hoarder. You're not somebody who's just going to have things on hand because of bare sentimentality or just out of obligation. Like the things that you take with you are very intentional to that degree. Am I yeah, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I'm very unsentimental about things. So I get rid of things constantly. And this room in particular has been a good um, kind of limit for me. Like anything that doesn't fit right here on this one wall on these like you know, set of shelves here, um, I get rid of. Mm -hmm. So like the books on the floor there, I need to either integrate or get rid of some on the shelves so that they can all fit. I won't, 
I probably won't ever get like another set of shelves, for instance. Like I just, I feel like this is a is a comfortable amount of objects mm. um, for me. So and, and I don't like owning too much. I'm curious how this how this piece of junk, this letter, um, why this one is with you. Like, why has it continued to go with you? I mean, I assume from when you left Arizona to other apartments that you had in New York and perhaps elsewhere, like it's it's really stood the test of of it's it stood the the Chelsea Hudson test. Yeah, for this this one is um the most has the most um, information, I think. Mm. So the most kind of things I can um, kind of deduce or like pick out from in between and. Um, I think it's one of the more charming letters too. So yeah, like just the, with regards to Greg is really funny to me. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I just think that's so funny that I would have been thinking about this guy because he didn't even like know who I was really, but I was thinking about him with such intensity that I had written, I think a whole letter to this person that I didn't know and didn't go to my school. Mm. I think too, (laughs) a lot of like uh, what I, what I would do with some of my friends is we had a book that we would, um, it was like a, like a art, like it was like um, a sketchbook that we would pass to each other in between different periods. And so we would write notes to each other. Uh-huh. And so, but there's something about that like teenage correspondence. And a lot of it was very dramatic. A lot of it was very like, can, I mean, in, in a dramatic voice, but like, can you believe what my mom did today or whatever? Or when yeah. we had fights with each other or somebody was like, like seen with somebody else's boyfriend or something like that. It was, it was kind of like, um, it was kind of like a sort of like proto Facebook, yeah. um, like forum for me and my group of friends. But, but it was still just sort of in this world of teenage correspondence, like there was something so serious Mm-hmm. about it yeah serious is the perfect word and i think that's i i write about that a lot of just like the utter i don't know the physical sense of like longing or just this intensity of um something that maybe doesn't even deserve that much intensity mm-hmm. it's just like i remember feeling so utterly captivated by a certain emotion in those high school years i think yeah um that really stuck with me do you remember how it how the letter writing petered out with this i person? don't i don't really and mm. that's kind of mysterious to me too and something i tried to piece together with the letters and then when we found each other online again i asked him and he didn't remember either mm. um and i really like that element of certain memories just kind of fading out yeah like I, I think it's actually really similar to how i think about possessions mm. of like just kind of things cycle through and some things stay with you and some things don't. Right. And um, that doesn't really make me sad or think like some things I'm like, Oh, I wish I would have written that down or if I had a document of that, but usually I don't, I'll Mm. just think like, well, that just wasn't meant to (laughs) stay with me. Um, It all comes back to me. I think when I see that letter and think about it, (laughs) I think that's, that's what junk does. Yeah. Ah, thank you so much, Chelsea. And I'm ending this episode the way I always do with an excerpt from that pretty little book, Junk. So what if I doggy paddled into the ocean to crap? Whales shit in the ocean all the time. You bob around my brain and it brings a rush of warmth like a stiff drink settles over my rocky butte. Something universal like a neon pink sweatshirt, a tabby fat heart. 
God, I can't believe I'm actually about to write this. Hi, I like myself. It's taken me seven generations to dig my junk situation. It's how I'm seen, felt, and fought the American imposition that rumbles my coffee break. From the window, brickish beanstalks grow tall and fat. Only a blind society would build luxury rooms not even the lights will live in, while so, so, so many sleep in slumps surrounded by all their junk. What is the material significance of an empty luxury apartment? potential over utility. American freedom is such historical propaganda. Our lives remind American exceptionalism that theft, slavery, and genocide are its founding institutions. Buy me a donut and take me to a museum. Reach for my hand or the spot on my neck when it rains and we ran the 10 sloppy blocks back to my place. Babe. Bring me a cool bowl of sherbet when I get high. The base forming rings on the top of my jeans. My brow forming beads on your shoulder. America is like, but I'm a good person. Never the body of its atrocities. Who built the railroads? Who picks the crops? Who delivers your egg bagel on a rainy day? Our tower is missing bricks. Fingers to lips. It's a wonder we make anything. I'm sorry, but I hate musicals so goddamn much. Not every revelation deserves a stanza, dummy. Underappreciated patience. Straight dudes painting their nails. Asking of a main character. Is it a normal person in extraordinary circumstances or an extraordinary person? Can you be ambitious without being anxious? I'm in the moment, I'm in the moment, I'm in the moment. A metal chair screeching on concrete. Faggot land is extra digital these days. A Sim City pixel of torsos, shoulders, or the Williamsburg Bridge. A gruff couple words, hot looking, and then a pin drop. Do you really expect me, sight unseen, to come over to your murder apartment, buzz up like takeout, and ask, who ordered the ass? I'm a tenant of suspicion, thumbing into plastic wrap grocery store ground beef. Let him go, like the bright yellow socks with blue toes auntie sent last winter. Dummy, I'm soups porous to other people's moods, modes, and furies. More armored in the new years, but growing up on a reservation gripped by meth, you never know what sets a person off. Threat flows through my valley. I used to hide in there like my ancestors when the Spanish came. There's too much world, but still I try to see it all. Mmm, feeling peaked, roused, amused? Buy the book online or at a fine or frankly trashy bookshop near you. Junk is produced by Alexandra De Palma with production assistance by Kenya Anderson. Our theme music is a cover of Fotos y Recuerdos by Downtown Boys. Thanks for letting us use it. And we're brought to you each week by the best book peddler this side of King James, Tin House Books. Thanks for sticking around. Stay good. Stay good.